الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد ابن عطاء الله الإسكندري سيز من استغرب أن ينقذه الله من شهوته وأن يخرجه من وجود غفلته فقد استعجز القدرة الإلهية وكان الله على كل شيء قديرا This aphorism is very important for for us when we think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't have the ability to help us and assist us. We don't really believe that, but we sometimes start to think that. We don't think of it directly. This is the implicit thought in our approach. The reason is that when we try as much as possible when we try a lot to stay away from sins and to get onto the right path and to avoid harams and so on and so forth and it doesn't work for us and it becomes difficult and we constantly relapse and fall back into it then implicitly we start losing hope we ourselves feel that there's no hope we keep doing the wrong thing we keep going back to our old ways but what that shows is that we don't have enough trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because at that moment we should be still constantly thinking of Allah that He still has the ability to stop us. But we stop thinking about Allah, we start focusing on ourselves. Allah wants us to focus on Him even in that status. So generally we will start thinking we're so weak. We're not complaining about Allah, but we are thinking that we can't do it. But it's not us, it's not about us. Yes, we've got a problem with our nafs. The person who wants to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he should be thinking, I can't do it, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can make me do it. So even at that moment, the gaze should be on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is probably what makes the difference, and it, it, essentially the difference between a wali of Allah and somebody who's not a wali of Allah, somebody who's has the ma'rifah of Allah and somebody who doesn't have the ma'rifah of Allah because the one who doesn't have the ma'rifah of Allah we will just think about it ourselves as though we're cold we don't know we have no ability to do anything we will just assume that we won't think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whereas the arif the person who knows Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah is always foremost in their mind they will think even when they fall down and do wrong that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can get me out of this. That is a very powerful thought. But it's very difficult to think of it in that, in that moment. Because we just start becoming... Shaitan makes us just self-condemning and wanting us to give up. So this is the approach that we're speaking about. That's why he's saying here that مَنِ اسْتَغْرَبَ أَنْ يُنْقِذَهُ اللَّهُ مِنْ شَهْوَتِهِ اسْتَغْرَبَ means... Who thinks it's gharib? Gharib in Arabic means ajib, unusual. You know, we in Urdu and other languages, gharib means poor, but that's because the poor person is generally unusual. But gharib actually means unusual. So whoever assumes it is unusual that Allah subhanahu wa taala could save him and extract him from his shahawat, from his desires, wa an yukhrijahu min wujudi ghaflatihi. And Allah could extract him, yank him out of his forgetfulness. Whoever finds that astonishing, فَقَدِ اسْتَعْجَزَ الْقُدْرَةَ الْإِلَهِيَّةِ 
then he has considered the divine power to be weak and feeble. Ista'jaza. Again, to think something, somebody is ajiz. Ajiz means feeble, weak, in a, uh, unable to do something. So then this person has deemed the divine power to be weak. And Allah has a power over everything. Allah has power over everything. So it's trying to correct our mind in terms of how we understand these things. So there's no doubt that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot be enfeebled by anything. Nothing debilitates him. La This is our aqidah. This is part of the creed of in Aqidah Tahawi it says, La yu'jizuhu shay. Nothing can debilitate him. amrihi. He is dominant over every matter that there is in the world. The hearts of the people are in his hands. He can turn them as he wishes. He can manipulate them and administer them as he wants. So whoever is submerged in their Shahwa, their negligence, and absolutely immersed in the seas of their desire, they should still not think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could take them out. It's an absolute possibility. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could extract them out of it, yank them out of it. If a person doesn't believe that, then that is a problem with his iman. This is a blemish on his faith. His faith is not right. How can that be astonishing that Allah has the ability to do so? When Allah Himself says, That Allah has ability over all things. And we are, Shay means everything. We are of those things. So Allah has that ability over us as well. <coughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says with regard the disobedient ones, Ya ibadiyalladina asrafu ala anfusihim, la taqnatu min rahmatillah. O my servants who have transgressed against themselves, who have committed excesses against themselves, do not become despondent of Allah's mercy because Allah forgives all sins. What is Allah telling us to do here? If a person is sinning and then becoming despondent, becoming hopeless, because shaitan is making them like that, they're allowing the shaitan because they're not thinking of the mercy of Allah at that time. They're thinking of the wrath of Allah. But they're not thinking of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We, what we need to do is when we commit a sin, happen to commit a sin, then it is better than to think of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He will forgive us. Because if we don't, the sin stays with us, it beckons to more sins. The beauty and benefit of seeking forgiveness straight after a sin is that our, we're wiped clean and we're, the burden has been removed from us. The evil influence of it, inshallah, will not continue because sin is such that when a person commits a sin, it beckons to more sin. It's tasty. The taste lingers. So as long as the tawbah hasn't made, the taste will linger. We won't have enough ability to push it away. If we make the tawbah and we're sincere, then that tawbah becomes stronger and we push away the taste that is lingering from the sin. And even if it does come back, our tawbah is strong enough to dismiss it in our minds. Otherwise, the biggest problem we have is that 
the biggest problem most of us have are with sins that we're habituated to, not with necessarily new sins. And if it's a new sin, it's generally related to the old sin. So, we're stuck in a rut, it seems, with the same kind of thing happening over and over and over again. So if we make tawbah sincerely, then, and it's strong enough, then it will help us to overcome these things. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O people who've transgressed against themselves, do not become despondent of Allah's mercy. Essentially what he's saying is, think of Allah's mercy at the time. Allah says, فَمَن تَابَ مِن بَعْدِ ظُلْمِهِ وَأَصْلَحَ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يَتُوبُ عَلَيْهِ That the one who makes tawbah, tawbah means who returns to Allah. So there has to be the act in one's mind, I want to get back to Allah. And the way you do that, you feel, oh, I've just become distant from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This sin has made me distant from Allah. So I want to return to Allah. I want to be His again. Whoever does tawbah min ba'di dhulmihi after his oppression. And oppression is against oneself here, you know, and, uh, uh, and, and obviously against others as well, depending on the situation. وَأَصْلَحَ And reforms. He does an act of reform. He goes through it with his mind. He does sadaqat. He does something. Then, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يَتُوبُ عَلَيْهِ Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will also turn back to him. Allah, the, uh, the, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, وَلَوْ أَذْنَبْتُمْ if you sinned until your sins reached the levels of the heavens, the heights of the heavens, and then after that you sought forgiveness, you did tawbah, you went back to Allah, Allah will come back to you. Allah will take you back in. These are all matters to be believed in. These are all reiterations of that, re-emphasis of this. This is what we have to live by, basically. Because our lives are like that, we have to live by these things. We have to be constantly hearing them to refresh our yaqeen, to strengthen our yaqeen. And it's a good idea to think of all of those people who started off as people of ghafla of negligence, absolute negligence, maybe worse off than the states we're in. Then they became Ahlul Mushahada. They became such people who could witness Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, constantly seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They were thieves. And then they became specially connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They, for example, you see people like Ibrahim ibn Adham. Ibrahim ibn Adham, Fudail ibn Iyad, a highwayman, robbing people, so notorious that people would not want to go through his area. And today we know him as Abid al-Haramain, the worshipper of the two sanctuaries. Abu Ya'za, a number of these individuals. So many people, there are so many people in our history that show that. Think of the person in the hadith who killed 99 people, the oft-quoted narration. Though it's oft-quoted so many times, it's something that will always give us hope. He went and then asked a worshipper, a rahib, a hermit, whether there could be any tawbah. He saw this hermit as a pious individual. So he went to ask him. This just shows that when people are in desperation, they go to whoever they think is righteous. 
But those righteous people are not necessarily always competent enough to assist others. They're doing their own worship, but they don't have the knowledge to assist others. They don't know the intricacies of Allah's rahmah and mercy. They're, they're enjoying it, but they don't know the, the limits of it and how it applies to others. So, he says, لا توبة لك For you there's no توبة. So he killed him as well because he was angry. This is his state. He was just into killing. You could see that he was kind of a serial killer in a sense. So he killed him as well. And then after that he went and found an alim. He happened to come across an alim. When he asked the alim, the alim told him that you must make tawbah. He told him how to make his tawbah. And that he should go somewhere else to, to get suhbah. To go to a place where there are better people. Where he could benefit from their company. So then he went there, died, in the, died on the path, and the Malaikatul Rahmah took him. The hadith is known, it's in Bukhari. Then you have another person who was a thief. He was a robber. He asked an abid, again another worshipper, Hal, min Is there a tawbah for me? Can I become better? And for some reason this abid made fun of him. Maybe he had some arrogance, maybe whatever the reason was. He was just a worshipper, he wasn't an alim as well. He, may, he started making fun of him and mocking him, what kind of tawbah you're going to get, look what kind of bad things you've done and so on. The way he made fun of him was this. He took a dry, uh, a dry piece of wood, a dry branch, dry twig, and he gave it to him and he said to him, take this, when it becomes green and fresh, then that means your tawbah would be sahih. So, this poor man, he believed him. He was mocking him, but he believed him. He took hold of the, he took it. And he began to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He dedicated himself to worship. And he would keep watching this thing, this twig, this dry twig. One day it became totally fresh. Ajib. That just shows the conviction. It's, it's all a matter of conviction, how much you can... That's what Allah wants to see of us. This is the secret of the whole thing. Allah wants to see from us. That's why Allah... Sometimes we commit sins because when we're not committing... When we're committing minor sins sometimes, we don't think about Allah, we think we're fine. We're going on a nice line. We're not getting any closer to Allah. We're kind of stagnant. Sometimes we commit a sin and the reason for that sin is to give us some kind of ihsas and take us back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So sometimes after a sin you actually become better. Higher level. You don't commit a sin for that reason. It's better not to. Because the sin might just take us down completely. It's a risk. It's a bad risk to take. One person came to uh, Hajjaj, Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, as you know, and he was going past somewhere. And he saw a blind man making dua. Oh Allah, give me back my sight, give me back my sight. So Hajjaj, as you know, he was just a very bold, brash kind of individual. He went up to him and gave him a little shove. And he said, do you know who, who I am? So the person said, no, no, no. He says, I'm Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. The blind person must have heard of Hajjaj, of course, that he's just willing to kill anybody. Like crosses his path and 
gets him on the wrong side. So he said, Hajjaj told him, I'm Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. I'm going to this place. Tonight I'm going to come back. And by that time, if you don't have your sight back, then you're dead. I'm going to kill you. Now, what do you think this man did? He started really praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He really started praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. By the time Hajjaj came back, he had a sight back. And this is what Hajjaj told him. He said, I saw you making this kind of dua. And I thought the only way to get you to make serious dua is this. Hajjaj was a knowledgeable individual in a sense. He had this problem with him, you know, this psychosis or whatever it was that he had. But, you know, th these were learned individuals at the time. But this is the yaqeen. When you know you're going to die, then, then you make that kind of dua. Because nothing is beyond Allah. It just shows us nothing. It, nothing is beyond Allah. It's just our yaqeen is not there. This is what all of this tells us. Ibn Ajiba mentions that I know numerous people. I know numerous people who were totally negligent. They used to miss Salat. They were abandoning Salat. They did not know what the deen was. They did not know even main things which children knew about the deen. These were totally negligent people brought up like this and they were just involved in their dunya and negligence and so on and so forth. They had absolutely no idea of the khususi way. They didn't even have an idea of the, the general way of the Muslimin. You know, that, that's how far they were from the deen. But they became arifin. From the khawas they became. When they tried and made their efforts. He says, I found people who have been totally immersed in sin. Absolutely disobedient. Uh, committing excesses against people, oppressing people and so on. And they became from the greatest of the salihin. And he's saying that these are people I know. We've seen so many people like this as well. He said that I've even seen the Nasara of uh, Septa. Uh, Ceuta is, um, it's in Morocco. You've got, uh, it's on the north, uh, eastern, uh, northeastern uh, tip of Morocco. It actually belongs to Spain. But it's in Morocco, on the Moro you know, in the, within the Moroccan. So, um, he says that we used to have uh, Dhikr Majalis. And some of these big ones, you know, big ones, and some of these Nasara, these uh, Christians, they would come and from outside, they would just feel the vibe or whatever it was, and they would be there. And they became really attracted to us. They became really attracted to us. But eventually what happened is, I think, it was separated and they were no longer able to. He says, if it continued like that, they would have no doubt become a Muslim. Just because of the experience they were having. With this, he says, he talks about a number of other individuals, and then he says that generally this mostly happens when a person comes upon the sohbah and the company of the one who has this magic. When you say magic, it means who has this alchemy, who has this remedy, who has this barakah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make this difference. And he says that these people are available at all time. In all times, in all generations, these people are there. And there's no doubt about them because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has these kind of people. There will always be some people who will be like that. And anybody who rejects that such people are available that can benefit them, then it is like they are denying or rejecting 
the shining of the sun despite the fact that the sun is out there's no doubt about such people because we know so many stories about these things of people becoming good however those people who are rejectors of this rejectors of the path they say this is a part of the Burda, Allama Busiris Burda. He says, Sometimes an eye that has cataract will reject the shining of the sun just because it can't see it, though it's there. Likewise, sometimes the mouth will deny the taste of a certain item just because it is ill and sick. So when sometimes when you have a bad flu or something, you have no taste buds, you don't say this tastes bad, whereas it tastes good to others. That's why Allah says, فَإِنَّهَا لَا تَعْمَلْ أَبْصَارْ وَلَكِنْ تَعْمَلْ قُلُوبُ الَّتِي فِي الصُّدُورِ It's not the outer eyes that are blind, it's the inner hearts that have been blunted and blinded so that they cannot see. And this means they have been blinded of the way of the pious. Some people are too involved in academics to such a degree that when I say academics here, I'm not talking about academics as a worldly occupation. I'm talking about even some ulama are so involved in academics to such a degree that they just don't understand any other aspect of the deen. So for them, it's all about science, science, knowledge, 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 learning more about hadith and Quran and tafsir and fiqh and so on and so forth. These are what we call the ulama al-zahir, the ulama with a great knowledge of the external sciences. They have no idea of the internal sciences. And one is that they don't have, but they want to. So then they have respect for it and they have a longing for it. But then what you have is some people, for example, the other day I just heard somebody saying, uh, one, of, uh, one such alim uh, saying that... Um, one alim saying, oh, I saw this, this sheikh, he had his murid sitting around him and they were all low, lowered heads. He says, what kind of a situation is this? Now, I can see where he's coming from. His understanding of this is that in a teacher-student relationship, when it comes to sciences, when it comes to uloom, there there needs to be a freedom of movement in the sense that the student needs to be able to ask questions to get knowledge then it cannot be one-sided and if you look at Imam Abu Hanifa's situation with his students as well it would be more of a discussion as opposed to a one-sided lecture and this is where it benefits most when the students are provoked um, inspired uh, and forced to ask questions and really discuss things because then it helps to clarify their situation. So it, it, it's, it appears, and again, I, I'm judging somebody here, and may Allah forgive me if I'm wrong, but the point is that if somebody's thinking this way, right, it means they are applying the academic sciences to the path of the Sawuf. That just shows the ignorance of the Sawuf. The Sawuf is a whole different game. It's a whole different way of doing things. It, devi- it demands respect. That's why you've gone to the person. Yes, when you have a question, you ask the question. But at the end of the day, there's a concept of tawajjud. There's a concept of an outpouring that is coming through the mashaykh. 
that is coming through the mashayikh uh, from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It is coming through the mashayikh from the hearts of the shayukh and uh, it, it's going, this is the whole point of the majlis generally. So in a majlis in front of your shaykh, you're supposed to be sitting there with humility. It's not there to sit boldly and you know, that's not the point of it. Yes, if you're sitting in a gathering of knowledge and the shaykh is teaching you hadith and so on, you have to have respect. But there you're willing to ask questions, you're willing to uh, challenge in a, in a polite, positive, respectful way, all of those things. But when it comes to tasawwuf, you, you have to give yourself up to that. But it's very difficult for people to do that. Very difficult for people to do that. But that's why he's saying, uh, there's people who reject that there's this possibility. And generally, this is where benefits come from. People change because of the company and the suhbah of somebody. We call this a majlis. In many Arab countries, they call this a suhbah. Because suhbah means being in the company. And one of the only reasons we're doing this here, obviously, because the mashayikh have told us to do so. But the other thing is that it's to everybody's benefit. We benefit from each other because we've come here for a common benefit, which is the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the remembrance. So that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it's not the external eyes which are blind, they see, but it's the inner hearts which are problematic and they don't see. And it's like you have a cockroach who cannot see. It sees in the dark, but it can't see, uh, or, or, or a bat, a bat. It can't see in the daytime, but it can see in the darkness. That's why they prefer to stay in caves and things like that, because they can see. It's a place, it's, a, uh, it's their world which they can see. When they come outside, they become kind of blinded, so they can't see what's going on. So sometimes we have to take that into consideration that some people will deny something because of that reason. That doesn't make the denial an evidence that there's a problem with the way and the path just because somebody cannot see it. And that's why generally what happens in this world to many people is that they become involved in shahwat and desires and in wrong deeds and they feel they can't get out of it. They are munhamik which means they are totally immersed in that sin. And they, it actually feels like they are in a prison of negligence. That's how we feel. That we're in a prison, we're imprisoned by our negligence. So it's almost like we're enjoying it, but we know we are confined. We want to get out of this. We want to be free. Being free of sin is the, the greatest freedom that you can feel. But we're in a prison of and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives an extradition order, gives a release order by giving a favor for that person to suddenly wake up, for a person to be awoken from his life of ghafla and sin and he's able to come out of this and free himself. And this is the greatest bounty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why in another, wiz, in another aphorism, Ibn Atayillah says, رُبَّمَا وَرَدَتِ الظُّلْمُ عَلَيْكِ No, رُبَّمَا وَرَدَتِ الظُّلَمُ عَلَيْكِ لِيُعَرِّفَكَ قَدْرَ مَا مَنَّ بِهِ عَلَيْكِ Sometimes darknesses will prevail upon you so that you can see the darkness from the good and come out of it. This is all to give us hope. This is all to give us hope. So we have great hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has good things in store for us. 
This thought is a beneficial thought because it makes us optimistic. It helps us a lot to think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has something good in store for us. He will take us out from this ghafalat. And the signs of that is that He's allowed us to sit and do the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one final thing that I want to mention is that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't like us, there's a lot of people who complain that when they do dhikr, they don't feel anything. And they're doing dhikr, but they're negligent, their minds are somewhere else. But this is a constant kind of a problem. But one has to realize from that is that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't want us to do dhikr at all, we wouldn't have even done it. So to sit there and even dedicate that 20 minutes, half an hour, one hour, whatever it is, for Allah, when you're doing nothing else and you're trying to do dhikr, even though 50% of the time, 70% of the time you're negligent, that is still a very good starting point. Because that time is still dedicated to Allah. And Allah sees beyond things. So though it's not as good as somebody who's, who's thinking and concentrating, but it's still better than not doing anything at all. So our job, to be honest, that's what the mashayikh say, our job is to spend the time. You just sit and do, do the dhikr. And keep focusing, keep attempting to, to gain attention within it and concentration. But at least we're spending that time doing nothing other than that. We're protected from that at least. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam tabaraki adhal jalali wal ikram. Allahumma ya hayyu ya qayyum bi rahmatika nastaghith. Subhanallah al-aliyyil a'la al-wahhab. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. Oh Allah, oh Allah, forgive us our sins. Oh Allah, forgive us our sins that we committed by daylight and not committed at night. Oh Allah, those that we remember and those that we don't remember. Oh Allah, those that we've forgotten, those that we've committed by mistake and those that we did boldly. Oh Allah, realizing that we're committing sins. Oh Allah, we ask that you forgive us our excesses. Oh Allah, that you grant us our forgiveness. You grant us your mercy. Oh Allah, without your mercy, nothing is going to happen for us. Oh Allah, we ask that you grant us your mercy. For without your mercy, nothing will happen for us. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you grant us your compassion. That you treat us gently. Oh Allah, we ask that you treat us with your mercy. Oh Allah, we're in need of your mercy more than anything else. Oh Allah, we're in need of your mercy more than anything else. Oh Allah, we're in need of tawfiq and guidance, divine enablement. Oh Allah, we ask you for tawfiq. We ask you for tawfiq. Oh Allah, we ask that you take us by the forelocks and place us in the on the path of your awliya and your close ones. Oh Allah, we've lived a long life on sin, away from the path of your your chosen ones. Oh Allah, we ask that you grant us closeness to you. We ask that you grant us closeness to you. Oh Allah, we've been so far, we've been so far, we've been so far. Oh Allah, but we want your closeness. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you accept our du'as, that you accept our du'as today. You purify our hearts. You grant us your nur in our hearts. Oh Allah, you grant us the tawfiq to sit and remember you. You grant us concentration in our remembrance. You grant us focus in our remembrance. Oh Allah, we ask that you make 
our surroundings conducive for that. Oh Allah, we ask that you take the evil out of our lives, that the wrongs out of our lives, the disobedience out of our lives. Oh Allah, we ask that you bring obedience in our lives, obedience in our approach to things. Oh Allah, that you make our mindset, our mentality conducive to how you will be pleased with it. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you make our hearts the way you want them to be and that you be pleased with us. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you do not let us die in the state of ghafla, in the state of negligence, in the state of loss, in the state of bewilderment. Oh Allah, in the state of deception, where we feel we're doing something but we're not. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you remove our deception from us. You remove our deception. You remove our focus on the wrong things. Oh Allah, that you set us aright. That you align us properly into the right direction. Oh Allah, you put us on the path of those. Oh Allah, your miracles know no bounds. There are many in the past. Some of whose names we took today and many others who started off maybe even worse than our situation. But oh Allah, it gives us hope to know that they could change completely so we can also change completely. Oh Allah, we ask that you grant us that change, that transformation because you have ability over all things. Oh Allah, we are part of your we are part of your sovereign we are part of your 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 slaves you're among your slaves among those things you have full control over oh allah oh allah we ask that you change us for the better you transform us for the better you draw us closer to you oh allah oh allah we ask that you give us the tawfiq to constantly ask you to constantly be aware of you to remember you even in our worst moments oh allah to remember you and remember your mercy even in our worst moments Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you grant us Jannatul Firdaus. You grant us company of your beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You grant us immense love for him in this world and send abundant blessings, oh Allah, to him. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you, all the permissible needs that we have in our life, that you fulfill them. You fulfill them in an easy manner, in a manner with well-being. Oh Allah, you grant us barakah in our possessions. You grant us barakah in our lives, in our children. Oh Allah, especially in our iman and our faith and our dini outlook. Oh Allah, we ask that you accept our du'as, that you accept our du'as, that you accept our du'as. Oh Allah, otherwise we're at loss. Otherwise we're at loss. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon. Wa salamun al mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.